Warning. Modern political discourse is a war of sloganeering that takes place primarily on advertising platforms. Another way to think of it is like a fart sniffing contest. We're all just like really getting into sniffing each other's farts and how great the people who agree with us as farts are and how bad the farts are the people we don't like. And who's secretly farting? Yeah, who... Who who dealt it? <laughs> who dealt it? That's the... We're an army of smellers looking for who dealt it. That's the world. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by Really Accurate On Point Metaphors. Now, a lot of shows these days, they're going to have loose, sloppy metaphors. They don't illuminate anything. They don't bring forth just this deep truth bursting into your mind, something that we strive for and we deliver. Now, there's three secret methods to metaphors that really pop. Oh, you're going to give away the secrets. Okay. The first is try scatological. Scatological metaphors really stick in the mind. They're vivid and they work. Number two, sexual metaphors, involving genitalia especially. Genitalia-based sexual metaphors really stick in the mind. And third, metaphors that are based on interpersonal conflict, a real tension. So the ultimate metaphor would be both scatological and sexual and involves a conflict, but we've got a creative audience. I'll leave that to you. It was a day like any other at Wrong Boys Detective Agency. Detective Sean and Detective Aaron were taking a break between taking on mysteries and cases to get to the bottom of. They were kicking back, relaxing, and listening to old tapes. A Xenon Group classic, How to Solve Mysteries. They'd already listened to that tape many times, but doggummit, it's comforting to listen to something you know well and connects with your deepest values. And then he walked in, the strangest little man that either of them had ever seen. He was as small as a mouse, but he had a heart made of steel. His suspenders were a different color than his belt, and he was wearing both. Honest to God, wearing both. Shoes two sizes too big for his teeth, but he didn't walk weird on them. Finest, most polished teeth in Wrongtown they had ever seen. Everybody called this little man the Milkman, even though he never delivered a drop of milk in his life. And he even went on to open a nylon store, but that's a story for another day. When the bells ring as he walked into Wrongtown Detective Agency, Detective Aaron and Detective Sean knew that their lives would never be the same. I uh, hate, hey, sir, Detective. Aaron here, some mighty fine teeth. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm Detective Sean. Try to solve a mystery every week. What seems to be the problem? Oh, okay. Oh, you want us to solve the mystery of what is snark? And whether it's good or not. Now, at this point, Sean and Aaron turned their heads towards each other and locked eyes, like twins, making the same face that Jim makes on the office towards the camera. The U.S. version of the office. Jim face. 
Wow, what a okay, great yeah, mystery. let's solve that. <laughs> yeah. I've done a great job of ranking all mysteries from most important to least important and starting at the top. <laughs> yeah, this really says something about your values, am I right? Good ones. Not Good the, Yeah, great. They're really, yes. Love it. That's what I meant. Good. They're good. Oh, no, you don't have to give us an extra amount of, well, yeah, sure, I okay, mean, yeah, yeah, we'll try to do it faster. Thanks, can't say sir. no. Might not, yeah, thank you. The generous little man filled up the wrong boy's pockets with money to solve the case, over and over, despite depositing more and more of his savings into any pocket he could find, and they were wearing cargo pants and stuff. Front pocket, side pocket, back pocket even. Stuffing and stuffing. <laughs> Wads of bills. You just try to subliminally plant that <laughs> image. Yeah, yeah, I think it will work. Cool. Will the wrong boys find out what is snark and is it good? Yep. Will the tiny little man ever stop stuffing bills into all of their available pockets at their uh, wrong town detective agency place in exchange for solving mysteries? Nope. And finally, will the wrong boys develop a comprehensive snark strategy that can help liberate humankind from bondage and create solidarity amongst all human beings and solidarity towards that very specific end? I speak, of course, of perfect utopia, 10,000 years of world peace, guaranteed basic outcome for everyone, the abolition of intellectual property, a library-based socialism that takes care of all a greater abundance than has ever been experienced in human history. We have the technology. Will the wrong boys do it? Listen to find out. Sometimes I've found myself reading over like a really long Facebook thread of all leftists just making little jabs at each other, interpreting each other in the least charitable way to try to cut the other person down and be like, just every comment is an accusation that the other person has implied something bad. I think this is one of the reasons I stay out of a lot of leftist groups, because at least in mixed political groups, when everyone's being snarky to each other, I feel like it's warranted. But when it's just all amongst leftists, it makes me sad. There was this thread I saw that was about, oh, there was a woman, I think she's like a celebrity, and she's black and says that she's going to wear fur to protest police brutality because like PETA and other organizations are prioritizing the well-being of animals over human beings who are black, who are disproportionately affected by police violence and discrimination. And then so the whole thread was just the m- most unmitigated omnidirectional leftist snark of people being like oh i'm gonna be racist until we fight climate change (laughs) because climate change is more important and you have to do a bad thing to protest uh, worse things and then other people were implying that it was racist to care about animal welfare at all up Um, up until (laughs) racism is solved yeah just yeah yeah, straight up everyone has to completely drop fighting animal cruelty yeah i saw the one comment that was just like i I, something like side eye at anyone who's an animal rights activist in this political climate it's like well okay (laughs) i mean i think she's making a good point in the initial thing like just like this is a better priority. I think as like a stunt, as a way to start conversations, yeah, generate headlines in this yeah. environment. It's, it's, I think it's a pretty strong action and it's a good point. And I think pretty much everyone, if asked directly, is like, is the suffering of human beings more important than the suffering of animals? Well, there's probably people. Who yeah, not disagree. everyone, but most people. 
So the thing that made me sort of sad about it was that in the hundred people or so in this thread, probably the vast majority of people agree on some common truths here, some common important things. So like to even like have this specific of a disagreement, the amount of things that you have to all agree on is a prerequisite to not be arguing about something else, something bigger than it is like amazing. Like it's just it's so much. But then amongst ourselves, just weaponizing these indirect snide comments and just like the contempt underneath it for each other not just do i disagree with you which like they didn't really disagree with each other that much maybe about the tactics a bit and stuff but like yeah i disagree with you so i'm just going to assume the absolute worst about you your motivations are suspect so there's this guy david denby who wrote a book about snarkiness and he's got a bunch of great quotes one of them is it's the bad kind of invective low snide teasing condescending knowing i like the inclusion of condescending and knowing there because there's always this sort of positional aspect to it of like i'm above you and i know more than you and i'm talking down to you it's not just a joke at someone else's expense it's a joke at someone else's expense for an audience that we like we're all we're all superior to you yeah like a good piece of snark is like casting a little hierarchy spell in language yes being like reciting the words in just such a way to create a mental map where one person's reduced and the other person's enlarged and it's always reactive it's always reacting to something it doesn't create new images or ideas this is denby again it's parasitical referential and insinuating and differs from satire because of its contempt for absolutely everyone like you can't formulate snark without this like felt meanness <laughs> you know uh, it's it bears saying every now and then generally speaking being nice is better than being mean not that there's not any room for any meanness ever in any context or anything like that i would never be so naive as to say that but generally speaking in most contexts like you don't want to just be mean all the time and on the online waters that we're swimming in now and that we're part of and i'd say neutral to mean is the norm like that's part of the long history of the internet it's like a proud part of internet culture back from like message board days is there's like the right. razzing and the the sharpness and the invective and the implying things about each other like the number one thing that the internet does is get people to imply things about each other <laughs> like <laughs> so much people are casting so many implicit things about each other online condescending insinuations yeah condescending insinuations stretch back to the very beginning of the internet but in the modern context now people are doing the condescending insinuations from their real name uh to people they know in real life uh in some case (laughs) right yeah yeah um, Yeah. instead of just anonymously on message board because because like part of it initially on the internet comes from like oh i don't know who any of these people are it's all just text it's like derealifying this social experience by putting this mediated thing in the middle of it this message board this this fact that's just text and username like handles rather than your real name but that that mode of discussion that mode of discourse has become so widespread that we do it all the time we do it when we're arguing with family members or friends or any anyone on the internet it's just how you talk to people on the internet Maybe that is the best way to get to the right ideas, right? Like, instead of picking apart ideas in 
their substance and being like, oh, good point, but I think this, and, you know, having like a real quote-unquote civil discourse, but just going up to each other as two sort of like snarky satirists and just being like, I'm crazy, <laughs> I think the things you think, right, blah, blah, yeah. blah. <laughs> I'm revealing how what a horrible person I am. And then just like back and forth as a performance. And then everyone's like, oh, which side am I going to join? Maybe that, I, I don't know what the best way to get to the best ideas is. I don't, just to. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <even. laughs> Could be. We now go to the old leftist communication strategy meeting sketch where the two heads of the left sit down to bang their heads together and figure out how exactly to convince the masses of the righteous truth. What if we snidely tease people we disagree with in a condescending way? Oh, that's such a great idea. Then they'll know that if they don't change their behavior, they're worthy of humiliation. I don't know about you, but I always find when I act really condescending and toxic online, people seem to really like me. It tends to change a lot of minds, tends to just really get positive momentum going, gets people saying, yes, I agree. Thank you for changing my mind. The way to do it is you take whatever idea you want to project and then find a way to frame it in terms of a derogatory, contemptuous comment towards someone you see as lesser than you. See, I don't even bother thinking about an idea I want to project. All I do is I look around for idiots saying dumb shit and then... It's, this is the great thing about it. I don't even have to articulate a counter-argument. I just have to insinuate the worst possible thing about them that I can based on what they said. And everyone understands they're bad and wrong and I'm great. And it's easy. That's the best part. It's just so easy. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't even have to really articulate an alternative or express any... Yeah, yeah, you, you can just... You don't have to articulate an argument or a counter-argument. Is it neither? You can just quickly position yourself as above them by itself with no content. Just absolutely no content except doubt. Yeah, the content of like a deeply paranoid reading of whatever they said, which is, you know, I can shoot those out of my bottom at any time. They smell great. I gotta say, I agree with you. They smell great. I could sniff them all day. You know what I won't smell? Hmm. Their farts. Oh, the stuff they're shooting out their bottoms? Yeah. No thanks. Disgusting. You. I wouldn't smell that at all. Yuck. Every time I smell one of those, I'm waving my hand in front of my face, going, ugh, P.U. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like you only like them when they come from your own team. Yeah, I always think that when it's coming from our team, it actually brings me closer to them. But it's just like ours smell good. They just do mm -hmm. smell good, and theirs just do smell bad. So that's the main point and for that's, me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. They do smell good, and when I smell it, I go, oh, fuck yeah. It smells damn good. So just to be clear, leftist communication strategy from us, heads of the left, is continue to smell each other's farts a lot. And now back to the show. I've got a little bit of a theory of snark that snark has like a narrative built into it of which group is good and which group is bad. So it's like easier to stick in people's minds and like in political communications, one of the things they advise doing is framing up against an enemy mm -hmm. uh, because it makes it, it just goes down the brain smooth. It just fits into our social conception of reality easier. So if you want to express an idea, you like frame it in terms of an enemy and like what an idiot they are. So like, because that goes down smooth, there's this feedback loop where if you're 
taking down the enemy and people feel good about they're like oh this is this is a representation of how i'm right and the people i dislike are wrong and that feels good and it clicks right away and it's only the length of a tweet i'm gonna throw that like down there you get way more likes for a snarky tweet than like a 10 page article that is providing data backup and giving people a really deep and nuanced understanding of something that's important you can also tackle the subject matter that's important in the form of a short-term tweet that frames a good idea very briefly in terms of an enemy or an enemy idea, which creates a cycle because people respond more to that because it's easy to digest. Then the people who are creating the content, the thought leaders of subcultures and ideologies, have an incentive to get more and more sardonic and critical and cutting and, and indirect and sarcastic so the mental resources of these people who are reading the room, the better they are at reading the room, the more they're going to be pandering to this audience. And then the risk at the end of that is all their content is snarkier than it need be. And that people's first exposure to these ideas are in the form of these echoes of the deeper ideas that are framed in terms of snark and conflict. And their first experience of socialism is that people who aren't socialists are fucking idiots. And that is at the root, it's the, the core of their anarchism, the core of their communism is fuck everyone else. We're so smart and so great because that's the implicit framing of the mediums and the, the culture. And they sort of memorize the bumper sticker version instead of the theory and concepts underneath that are more important and liberatory and believe very strongly in things that they don't understand very well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, there's like, there's two things I think I want to say to that. The The first is that I think partially what you're talking about is this meat versus meme distinction we've made before, meaning the idea that things you talk about on the internet often get compressed necessarily by the nature of the mediums. People get gists of ideas, meme versions of them, and not the full idea. And as those further replicate out, the quality of them degrades and you get less understanding. Like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. Exactly. So so I think that's real and snark plays a role in that or snark can lead to that, but I don't think snark is the only thing that can lead to that. I think it's a function of compressed information, reading headlines. But But the other thing you were talking there about everyone else being fucking idiots it hits on something that I wanted to talk about that when I was uh, preparing for this episode really stood out to me as one of the key features of snark, which is paranoia. And I think the paranoia usually present in snark contributes to that and also contributes to the degradation of the quality of the copies of the Xeroxes as it's going. Because, well, the, the reason that Snark is paranoid often is because, you know, so someone makes a tweet that you think is bad. Is it easier to mock the tweet if you assume that it's an honest mistake and you give them a really charitable reading? Or is it easier to mock the tweet if you assume that it means the worst possible thing that it could mean? So... As, uh, you know, a joke, as snark is usually a joke, it's funnier to go for the paranoid reading every time. But also it's paranoid because, well, like snark is, one way I heard it described that I really liked is that it's the online version of a snicker or of like 
yeah really you know like okay you kind of like with your friend you two look over at each other and gym face <laughs> yes gym face yeah exactly snarks like this socially mediated thing because it relies on insinuation or whatever like it relies on you and the other person being on the same page enough to get it get what you're saying like it's often referential and iterative like it it's self-referential and like you need to kind of know the author to know what they're implying and there's that's why it fosters this in-group mentality and this sequestering off of these little snark bubbles and it's like you and your friends and you all already knew that the thing was going to be bad that the tweet from the idiot was going to be stupid and it was and you were right and you expected the bad thing and the bad thing came and anyone who didn't expect the bad thing is naive or stupid or whatever it, go it goes against that to not have a paranoid reading to not have already expected the worst from the beginning and to have been found correct in the worst that is another thing about the web culture of this sort of like detached bigger than it all sunglasses on your ideology sort of thing on the internet of like the people like people insulating themselves from criticism by being above it all and already know things and like sort of pessimistic and hopeless like there, i feel like there's a thread there in in I, yeah i wrote shield against humiliation and vulnerability you know, I, I can't be made to look a fool for having hope about something if I never have had, if I don't have hope, if I knew it was going to go terribly from the beginning, because it always goes terribly and it always will go terribly. And everyone who doesn't know that is an idiot and is who is being mocked by the knowingness that, oh yeah, we know, like we know that this is stupid and we're gym facing at each other because this is not like we we see through the lies and the artifice and the vacuousness and we're laying it bare for everyone to see with this sharp pointed comment that <laughs> makes us all laugh together. So snark is sort of like rhetorical journalism of uncovering the real truth, you know. That I, th I think that's the emotional place behind it, right? Like you want to look at what they're saying and you want to expose the lies behind it, the dangerous narratives that it's perpetuating, the social ills that it's contributing to. You want to uncover the ulterior motives behind what people are saying and like and make it clear Sometimes it feels like, well, I think it's probably true in a sense because like language and rhetoric and politics has this element of poetry to it, but there's this omni critique. There's always an angle through that sort of paranoid snarky lens where everything sucks. Yeah. Everything sucks and everything is disingenuous and people are always showing their true nature, which is evil. And like, if you accept all of the critical claims as true the the outcome is that literally everything all the time is bad it, i think in reality it comes out in the way of like different groups rule out different like people have different favored critiques and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that but at the end of the day all of the critiques that are being made cover everything part of the way that i think web enabled snark has developed 
into this thing that it is now, which is this, it's the air that we breathe. We're swimming in the water of snark and it's, you don't see it. It's just, I've also thought about it in terms of Twitter voice, where you have all these reoccurring memes that show up in people's tweets. Stuff like saying daily reminder at the beginning of a tweet. Well, what's that implying? That What is that implying? It implies you've already had a chance to understand this. You've had the chance to understand it every day for all time or, you know, but for I a still, while. <laughs> I need to get it through to you, you thick scald moron. I've said this every single day. We've been saying this over and over and over again, and it's so reasonable and obvious. Past 800 days, every day I've said it. 801. Let's give it a shot. A lot of times those tweets, the daily reminder tweets, especially the ones that go viral, you know, they got a good point in it, by all means. But something that a little bit bothers me is when people imply that extremely esoteric and complex and hard to understand ideas should immediately be common sense. Sometimes, like, I'm just like, oh, come on, it's not... It's not my daily reminder. I haven't thought about that shit in weeks, and I'm, like, very engaged. Well, you're just not reading their Twitter where they remind us people every day. They just set up a bot to literally... I think that's a good rule. If you're going to say daily reminder... It has to actually be daily, at least for one month. If you don't do that, then how are you going to convince people of the strength of the ideas? Oh, what I wanted to say was that these... The platforms that we use, Twitter and and Facebook, the public text-based communications infrastructure has its own logic to it, which I think like snarkiness is something that the internet didn't invent, but it's definitely something that's flourishing on the internet. And there's a couple of reasons why that, that might be. The like social isolation of it, not seeing other people's eyes and seeing their full humanity when you're talking to them and also broadcasting the performative nature of it and stuff but the the medium is part of the story here the medium is part of snark i think like if we want to get to the bottom of what snark is and whether or not it's good these social media platforms are definitely part of the picture Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong podcast is brought to you by a brand new innovation in online internet snark. This this is so streamlined, so sleek, so perfect, amazing, beautiful. You don't even have to say any words. When someone on the Facebook platform says something really stupid, all you have to do little haha react don't even need to respond it's snarky it's incisive it's cutting boom it's amazing it's beautiful it's the sponsor of today's episode and we love it no man, I, I actually really hate haha reacts like a condescending haha react just that even... perfect circle with the big smile you don't just love that no, no, I hate it. I, I hate it. Frankly, I'm tempted to do it. I used to do it. This is my 2019 resolution. I haven't condescending haha reacted anything yet. I want to be like a real Gandhian about this. No matter how much you haha react my serious point, I will never haha react yours. I'll angry face if you cross the line, but I'll never, ever haha react when you're stupid. I appreciate your tactic, but it's not my tactic. I've actually haha reacted a bunch already in 2019. I have a couple examples here. I just want you to tell me whether you think these were justified. Okay, sure. Yeah. Bird Box. For people who aren't listening to this this week and have forgotten about it, Bird Box. Yeah, it's a Netflix movie about Sandra Bullock not being able to look at monsters. Bird Box was okay-ish. It's interesting, though. In the movie, you can't see or you'll die. Another new Netflix movie, if you make any noise, you'll die. What exactly are we being conditioned for? (laughs) I gave that a snarky ha-ha. And I was out. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna <laughs> condemn you over that. I think but. you should. Okay, you didn't wanna condemn me? Okay, for sake of content, I'll condemn you. 
What you should have done instead is give them no reaction at all, unless you like it, love it, it makes you angry or it makes you sad. Or a genuine laugh It's with a them. humorous, yeah, yeah, sort of they've shared a joke. Sure, laugh then. And you should have posted a very civil, quick comment that says, I'm not sure we're being conditioned to anything. That seems like a large logical jump. Yeah, maybe it's just a coincidence these two movies have similar premises. Yeah, or, it's a good device and it's, yeah, a, it's a good They're churning out device. a lot of movies right now. Okay, how Generally, about that sort of assumption about the world is, is not going to be right. You might want to like put it out in words so they have a chance to evaluate it. Instead, they're like, oh, I feel small. I'm being humiliated. This is like elementary school again. They're all laughing at me. I'm going to read this. It's kind of a long comment. You stop me when you think it's valid that I haha reacted. I assume it'll happen at some point as I'm reading. Okay. Well, it's beyond selfish, narcissistic, and immoral to breed at all. And it is the worst form of pollution there is. Real talk. Plus, it is abusive towards your significant other to breed instead of valuing your relationship together. There is nothing good about procreation. It would be great if everyone was sterilized. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It would be... It's... Yeah, I get it. I, are you sure? I'm not even a quarter of the way through When you talk this about thing. human breeding that way, you really sound like some sort of... You can also look at the true definition villain. of procreation while we're at it. Procreation, the ancient art of betraying your significant other by making them second fiddle to a person who didn't even have to exist in the first place. That's a procreation villain right there. <laughs> yeah, using the word breeding so often and like... It really so- it sounds like Elliot Rodger or something. Yeah, it was... Uh, narcissistic, selfish breeders. So I gave him a ha-ha. But what if react. he thought... Here's another thing. What if he thought she that... She actually... What if she thought, oh, he's laughing at how great my anti-breeding dunks and my... Yeah, it's not really for her benefit. It's for all the people who are on my side and know me and know what we all think is dumb, who see that I laugh, react to that, and they are like, oh, yeah, we're all smarter than her. That's more what this is about. This is about the collective, what me and my pals think about how dumb this is it's not for her benefit all right well as far as i'm concerned other people are still allowed to haha react those are some bad posts i get it you want to quickly send that message and participate in the cycle of online acrimony in that way and that's your right and you know i'm working on i feel like there's a benefit for my participation in the circle of online acrimony to avoid the haha reacts not that um i'm not going to be you know acrimonious at all <laughs> i will still keep some of that the acrimony absolutely it will be online but the <laughs> going online without any acrimony is it's i'm just gonna prefer tall order to, to, to try to very quickly and articulately say specifically what my problem is hmm. cool yeah you can do that and i'll do my thing a b test we'll see how it goes so that's the sponsor of the show condescending haha reacts an in-depth ad or the absence thereof could also be the sponsor it's nice get a sponsor from both sides that way you win either way and they both reach the audience so they get something too today's episode of seriously wrong is also brought to you by having two ads in a row now a lot of shows these days they'll just have one ad in a row you know fake ad real ad you know comedy fake ad or a real ad for a real product 
you name it. It's like I was just getting into this ad, and now there's only one of them, and it's over. I wish there was two in a row. Well, that's the seriously wrong promise. Some of the time, we will do two ads in a row. Now, mind you, there'll be fake comedy ads. We don't typically yeah, we don't do advertise for ads. products or anything. This is a joke ad. Yeah, we're funded by Patreon. We don't concepts can't actually purchase ad space on podcasts we find it to be a good device proud sponsor of today's seriously wrong podcast and now i think it's time for the part of the show where we read some letters from the audience get some feedback what do you think that sounds like a real hoot to me here let me just uh unfold the paper dear wrong boys if snark is so bad, why are you so snarky? Best wishes, Clara. Hmm. I don't think we're snarky. I didn't really notice that. Yeah, I wouldn't self-describe as snarky. We do crack jokes. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's a comedy show. You got to crack jokes. Satirical. And definitely. We'll do some biting satire. Some real on-the-money, hitting-the-mark satire. That's, That's it. That's what Clara's missing is that it's really on the money. What we do is really on the money and it's in the form of a performance. So that's, that's the mistake there. All right, so um, excuse you, Claire, but that's okay. So this is a letter from uh, Jesse. It says, Hi, guys. I'm having a bit of trouble with your snark episode. One of the reasons I love your show is because of how snarky it is. Remember the sweat pledge episode? You guys snarked that jerk into oblivion. When I listen, I like to think that we're all sitting in a room together, gym facing at one another. Sometimes I recommend you to my friends as seriously snark. Hmm. Snark is usually something, Jesse, that someone else is doing. Yeah, it's like when I don't like it when someone's saying an ironic or satirical thing and it's mean to something I identify with or something I wouldn't be mean to. That's more what snark is about. Like it's it's when I wouldn't do that or when I don't like that. So everything on the show that I do, I like. So it's not snark. <clears throat> Here's one. Uh, dear hypocrites and cowards, I was a huge fan until you showed your true face today. You're an extremely snarky show, and your facile condemnation of snark has revealed your two-faced and disingenuous heart. Get bent, sincerely, Cameron. Huh. You know, I just didn't realize our audience was so wrong. Also, who writes a letter like that? Get a life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like what? I roll... Like I'm reading this note and I like look up at Aaron and we like make eye contact and we're like, what is going on here? Okay. (laughs) You've been our fan for this long. You're turning on us for this. This has been letter writing day at the lunatic asylum. So dumb. Thank you for your letter, Cameron. Yeah. Thank everyone for their letters and uh, yeah, we'll do more next episode as always. So what's the difference between satire and snark? Is there a meaningful difference there? Like is snarky a subsection of satire? The thought that occurred to me is maybe that snark is like a performative, satirical way of engaging interpersonally, and like that's what makes it snarky rather than satirical. One of the things that comes to mind as a distinction is I think satire doesn't have to be condescending or doesn't have to be mean necessarily, though it often does. Snarkiness is a social process in that it relies on you and your pals sharing the knowingness, but you're like building a narrative in the negative space of what you're making fun of. By what you're criticizing, you're implying what's good. And 
this is a collaborative social process when we all snark against the same kinds of things over and over again through this web of latent implication we're building ideas of what the positive is it's it's necessarily latent in that kind of omni critique in that critique of everything saying everything is bad implies that there's a different thing that's good and while snark isn't equipped to explicate that specifically it defines boundaries all around it by what it's ruling out so yeah snark is like implying what's off limits yeah we're good we're above the things that are bad and the things that are bad are bad and bad things are off limits so yeah maybe it's not that snark is inherently bad but that snark is a neutral tool that's effective yeah it's a, it's a neutral tool it's a destructive tool but it can be used to destroy good things or bad things so it's mm-hmm. like it's neutral in that it can be used for good or evil but it isn't neutral in whether it's a building tool or a destroying tool if that makes sense yeah yeah so it, well like for example with that sort of like pure journalistic spirit of snark of like shattering the bullshit and revealing the truth that definitely can be like a real emancipatory form of destruction if you destroy something that's unjust. Yeah, exactly. If you you show the emperor's not wearing any clothes and it's an important and valid critique, snark can actually move society forward. And it seems, I think actually, it it seems to have worked. Yeah, I mean, it's... It definitely works sometimes. Like it's taken over so much of our discourse to say that nothing it's ever done is good, I think would be like an extremely pessimistic view of the current discourse. Like there's there's things about it that I don't like or that, that you know, make me feel uncomfortable from a like, oh, that's so mean and negative and meh. But some things are worth being mean and negative towards. Like if we're just gonna lament the mean-spiritedness without asking why are people being mean-spirited? Do they have a good reason to be mean-spirited against certain ideas and people? You're kind of missing part of the story. Yeah, and if we're we're talking about something of like really supreme ethical importance to communicate and improve on, do we actually have evidence that issuing these indirect, cutting, satirical criticisms is not the way to move the needle? Do we have evidence to show that this doesn't make happen what needs to happen? I'm not sure. I mean, it's proof of a negative, I guess. Yeah, no, but I, I, I know what you mean. Like, people can criticize it as being, like, pointless or counterproductive or, like, circle jerky. Uh, <laughs> Today's episode of Seriously Wrong brought to you by Circle Jerky with extra protein. Delicious. Uh, yum, yum. So one of the quotes I'd written down about this was that it's not just an ineffectual form of protest, but it replaces actual protest. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's ineffectual, and I don't know if it replaces actual protest. I think it might fuel actual protest, and I think it might be pretty effectual sometimes. Like, mobs of snarky people have gotten shit done in this world. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think my biggest critique of snark that is like, the thing that I would say about snark, to really stick it to snark, mm-hmm. is that snark is an effective way to communicate for whatever reason in our psychology. Right. And that it can be used for good or evil. And yeah, great power, great responsibility, 
there are people out there who potentially have internalized this sense of snark around ideas that isn't necessarily going to help them personally or deepen their understanding. They care deeply about things that they could stand to think about more. Or they care deeply about things based on these signaling games and the implicit thing that they take from it is actually not true. Like, they, there's, there's a loss of fidelity in the echo, and they believe strongly in something that's not true because it's an echo rather than the substance. And that's probably true. But it's also really useful for, like, good ideas to reach lots of people. Yeah, I mean, the alt-right and a lot of the modern left have been propelled into the, the cultural space that they're in right now through the vector of snark. Like... I think both of those social movements, which have gotten a lot of attention in recent years, have made good use of this very potent tool. And that just shows this deep dichotomy of like the differing sides to it, that, that it can be used for good purposes or bad purposes. One of the things I read preparing for this episode was this essay by George... Siveroitis, and I wanted to just say his name because a bunch of the stuff I said in this episode comes from it. But the thing that he thinks Snark is uniquely able to do, the, the thing that it's the best for, is cutting through what he calls smarm, which is stuff that's nice but not good is one way he puts it, this this performance of seriousness or like constructiveness or politeness that's devoid of substance, this sort of like advertising culture, this like bland positivity. One of the ways he puts that snark is effective against smarm is that it is able to pull out the latent comedic element in polluted politicians, overhyped media moments. It's kind of funny how like... <laughs> vapid so much of mainstream bullshit pretentious culture is another way to put it is valuing tone over truth like oh come on can't we all just get along can't we just be nice to each other like that's more important than pointing out the harsh truths of the world right yeah, we're very serious people who want some civility and bipartisan collaboration. Oh, you're saying something in a negative tone? That means that it's not true. What about wow. both sides? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, rookie mistake. You're just looking at one side. Because I've got a very big mind, I can see both sides, and I'm happy to explain the other side to you as well. Smarm. Smarm. It's uh, narratives that gloss over inconvenient truths. Yeah, you know, I feel like a lot of radicals like anarchists and communists would call that liberalism. Yes, yeah, yeah. I like, like pulling it out and calling it smarm. That, that feels good to me because liberalism means so many things. And like in different contexts, like the American definition of liberal is like anyone who's on the left wing. And then like there's different like pejorative versions of liberal, different positive versions of liberal. There's like liberals and neoliberal. It goes on and there's like a zillion liberals. And uh, we just pull that one out, just do surgery on that grape and then pull out smarm. Smarm is another thing that can be a vector for these poor understandings of ideas. People get up on their high horse about how they get both sides or they're so centrist or they're so very serious about these topics and they just repeat these like feel goody, like sound super rational and logical quotes and it just like they it can be a vector of bad ideas in the same way that you were describing snark being this like sort of self-replicating easy form of 
discourse that doesn't go in depth. Smarm promotes a false peace that obscures injustice, like an artificial absence of conflict, which obscures underlying Yeah, like an unprincipled peace, yeah. And the, the powerful super weapon of snark, which needs to be aimed carefully, but is neither bad nor good in itself, can destroy that. And the other thing that's like really destructive about Smarm, but that Snark doesn't actually do a lot to fix, is that Smarm makes hope and optimism and joy seem suspicious. Where like anything that kind of seems positive, you just are immediately like, yeah, okay, what's your angle on this? Mm-hmm. Like, trying why? to sell me Coca-Cola, motherfucker? <laughs> exactly. Like, what's this? Mm, okay. Everything is shit. I know everything's shit. My entire mm-hmm. web of signifiers of snarky ideas is telling me that everything's shit. And you're saying that something might be okay? It's like this smarminess is completely colonized positivity and we're seeding that territory so in addition to just snarking at smarm and deconstructing it there needs to be this positive project of reclaiming hope and optimism because you can't build a better world without those things well yeah and using the weapon of snark against the forces of hopelessness and against the forces yeah of unprincipled hopeless snark you know counter snark Got to get to the top of that snark stack. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Scrambling up. Up, 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 up. And we're sort of in an interesting political moment. So, like, I, I can condemn Facebook and Twitter. I can read a quote from the former vice president of Facebook who said, you know, the short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we've created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. Your behaviors, you don't realize it, but you're being programmed. It was unintentional, but now you've got to decide how much you're going to give up, how much of your intellectual independence you're going to cede to Facebook. I can quote him and say, these platforms are horrible. But at the very least, because of Facebook and Twitter, we're in this really fascinating moment where fast food chains are clapping back on Twitter. We're 10 months away away from Walmart shutting down haters well, oh, with, yeah. by dunking on them on Twitter. Like, the, we're right around... Like, yeah, the no, corporate the, world has is taking on snark because of the shapes of the platforms right, that were... Right, right, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because this, this essay, he's framing this whole thing as, like, smarm is this thing that companies do and politicians do and university commencement speeches and this, like, this bland, like, corporate world thing. But... All of these organizations and things like that, politicians on Twitter, things, everyone, it's getting more snarky. Like, they're getting hip to that. They're, they're, they're saying, oh, we're not going to be like that. We're not going to be smarmy. We're not going to be blandly positive and like corporate speak anymore. Now we're going to clap back too. So, yeah, it's interesting that how that's evolving and how that, that dialectic is moving. <laughs> and now you got to snark at the snark or like maybe smarm a bit at the snark, like good smarm. I don't know if that's a thing, but it is, it is a weird place that trying to trying to get into here. I think, you know, corporate speak and politicians could hold on to the world of smarm if they never went beyond it. You know, they could really dominate it. It would be a big fight to get people to be optimistic, hopeful, positive in their language and stuff like that. But I feel like the second these corporations start clapping back, the exact moment they start dunking on the haters and implying weird shit about each other. Yeah. 
the second that happens, it's like the floodgates are open. It's no longer the world of Smarm no longer belongs to the corporations and the politicians. You know, it's the idea of positivity, hopefulness. It's like, we need to take over this place. We need to take this land over in the social justice wars. We need to invade the realm of positivity, reconstructive. I'm not sure that I would call it good Smarm or... Yeah, because the Smarm, one of the key aspects of it is that it's vacuous and empty and ultimately not what it appears to be. So that's the part you want to throw out. <laughs> yeah, we, but it gives us space to create something new, you know, to create something which is reconstructive yeah, and positive. You, like you and, want to build your optimism on something real and on, like we, do, we don't want to take over the space of platitudes, but we do want to take joy and hope and optimism back from the platitudes, back from the, the corporate smarmy, culture that's kind of letting them go at least in some instances yeah and we need to make sure that niceness isn't synonymous with because niceness is pretty good and important we don't want to leave niceness to always be something that's obscuring some sort of horrific injustice we don't want niceness to be the thing that you do when you're trying to take financial advantage of someone or niceness is the thing that you do when you're trying to avoid some sort of hard truth, especially about like your own behavior or something like that. Yeah. We live in a chaotic moment where all tools are on the table. Communication is an open field. We need to figure out the boundaries of this stuff. We now go to the old anti-snark communication strategy team sketch. Yeah, it's like the first communication strategy sketch, except the opposite. It's a repetition in a sense, but also an inversion. And this is the part where we explain the sketch before the sketch, and now it's time for the sketch. And we explain it because we want to make sure that you get both the signifier and the signified. And that's also why we explain the explanation. And now the sketch. <laughs> you know, I would never, ever be snarky. It shows a corruption of the character. I, yeah, I just don't see any reason to be negative. Yeah. When your husband dies at a young age, you've got some young kids, you should say, this is good. Well, at least look for the silver lining. Yeah, where's the I bright mean, side? Now I'll have more free time, or now I'll get to explore dating again. And these killjoys, these snarky, negative, just rude and crude, mm -hmm. nasties. Why do they hate joy so much? Exactly, that's what I'm wondering. There's nothing more joyful than not calling out abhorrent, violent political speech. That brings me joy. And that would bring them joy, too, if they stepped up to the and plate. I, well, you know, call it out. Absolutely call it out. But do it in a polite way. You have to observe the proper forms of this type of civil discourse. The most important thing about civil discourse is the form, not the content. I, I couldn't say it better. That's, per that's exactly what I'm trying to say. That's so right. Okay, well, imagine this. So one person, he's very serious, very calm, very rational. He says, how's this for an idea? I think that we should flay all human children alive. And then someone comes back at them and they go, oh, that's, you're so evil, you're so bad, you're so stupid, like blah, 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 blah. What's the audience gonna say? That person's unreasonable. This person actually is very calm. They're gonna go to his side. I've seen it a million times. People start believing in flaying children. You know, he, he came in there with a constructive premise, an idea of his own he was putting forward in a polite, civil way. Yeah, and if you just shoot that down, just without engaging with it. Yeah, without, you know, recognizing. No better than him. 
hey, thank you for putting forward this idea. I hadn't thought of it before, and I do disagree. Yeah. Maybe I'll give a few reasons about why I disagree. Well, maybe but, start by trying to connect with his emotional state and say like, oh, that's a valid idea. Oh, I could yeah, see how someone yeah. could believe that. You could be like, you know what? I too am fascinated by the raw viscera of cutting open the human children of Earth. But when I look at the pros and cons, I really wonder if it's the best idea. Now, I'm not an expert. I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. So I'm going to take what I say seriously. But maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, I like that. You start with the compliment, then you move on to a gentle criticism. And sometimes I even like the compliment sandwich, where at the end you say something else nice. So you might say, and you've been great in this conversation. Some of these people on so-called my side have been really rude to you. Oh, they're we can both agree that's awful. You've been great compared to them. I have to apologize for the whole not cutting open kids crowd because the lack of civility that they've shown towards your proposal embarrasses me, embarrasses the, the not flaying children people that I stand for wouldn't do that. And the truth is, myself, when I've done this, 100% of the time the person changes their mind and starts agreeing with me. It's so effective. You be polite, you be constructive, mm -hmm. and people are convinced by the better ideas. That's how civil discourse works. You know, we wouldn't do it if it didn't work, but the fact is it just always works. Positivity, yeah, it always works. Smells great coming out your bottom. Civil Love discourse, it. yeah. It, when I smell it from my side, I'm like, whoo, that's nice. And well, the best part is there's only one side. It's that we're all on a side together. The only ones that are on the wrong side are the uncivil people, and that smells yeah. bad. Oh, it smells horrible. Stinky. Makes me pinch my nose and go, yuck. So it's a communication strategy that works, not being snarky. Ethically important stuff. Uh, abstain from this entirely. So the thing that we're starting to talk about here, which again, I don't think this just intersects with snark, but when it does intersect with snark, I think it's pretty toxic, is the concept of collective narcissism, like narcissistic tendencies towards the collective you're a part of rather than to yourself. So like someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder, they like blame everyone but themselves for things, they refuse accountability, they uh, can explode into rage, they're intolerant of criticism, they're self-centered, impose rules on others, they're controlling, unempathetic. Oh yeah, it totally <laughs> sounds like snark tribes <laughs> interacting with one another. Yeah, so like a really bad snark tribe would they've got an emotional investment in an unrealistic belief about their group's greatness they think their group's the absolute best they're outraged that everyone doesn't see it that way anyone who doesn't see that way is contemptible they put other groups down they're entitled to things they're the source of all greatness they're not responsible for any problems yeah this is just like tribalistic thinking of having like a clear defined in-group out-group boundary setting thing when you start doing that you start seeing in-group as inherently good. All good things come from in-group. All bad things come from out-group. And, and snark is definitely, like, a huge part of it is defining in-group and out-group boundaries through implication. Snark, because it's such a powerful weapon, is naturally used by collective narcissists. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. And then on the platforms that we're I, using I think it's an too. unavoidable consequence of it, like doing that kind of narrative building with people you all agree with and defining what's bad, you're putting people in the out group and then like, you're going to start thinking the in group is good. So with having this cultural moment of snark being so effective, if people with group narcissistic ideology and tendencies, if they're at all better at being snarky or their, their snarkiness comes more naturally because they're always 
paranoid, like legitimately paranoid about other groups, then through the feedback systems and the circles of social media, it can incentivize the wrong things. And it, it's just, I feel like it's worth saying, like, collective narcissists aren't standard, like, narcissists. It's not like a feature. It's like a, it's almost like an infection on your ideology to, like, not only believe something, but then start seeing the world in, like, black and white terms that are very accusatory and, and so on around. Yeah I, yeah, I don't even think it's, like, a binary thing. Like, some people are this and some people aren't this. I think it's it's a kind of collective process that, like, we're all participating in by participating in political debate you kind of like form this sense of collective narcissism it's just by thinking you're right and other people are wrong this comes from it like you can attempt to counter it or like i don't want to frame it just as like some people are collective narcissists and they're within these groups i think it's something that we're all participating in to some degree or another even when we're trying not to well, that's, that's sort of like regular narcissism, right? Where everyone is on a narcissist, right, narcissism yeah. spectrum, but then it's a disorder if you meet a certain criteria. I think right, they yeah, do it on like a, a point scale and the average, everyone on average is like 15 narcissism points, but the scale goes up to 40. It's the same with, with ideologies where you can have like an acute, like, and it's a, it's not inherent to the ideology, but it's like a subcultural thing, I think, the way that it sort of travels. And there's just maybe an argument that social media helps incentivize and propagate this. Yeah, but no, it definitely does. Whether it's like smarmy collective narcissism or snarky, like often there's both inside of different little groups. It's definitely. But it's, it's far from essentialized to snark because some of the, the most like acute examples that the people who do studies on collective narcissism the most acute examples are like ethno-nationalist groups and like religious groups that the sort of like religious mania that would say that someone has to be killed for a depiction of a god. Right. You know, like that is a collective narcissism by the definitions that they use. And I think another really good example of this is like when we're talking about smarm, I feel like smarm has, if smarm has a collective narcissism, we'd call it elitism because smarm is sort of like the hegemonic ideology of the upper middle class and rich in in the west right like mm, the sort yeah. of like civility and so on yeah it's not essentialized to snark just snark is one of the ways which these collective narcissism bubbles like build and reproduce itself and spreads yeah and especially if people are forming their ideology based on xeroxes of xeroxes of xeroxes where they've lost some fidelity it might keep the group narcissism and lose the nuance. But then also, on the other hand, I got to say, I want my Xeroxes to spread as much as possible. Like, I hope they don't get too degraded, but it's like, that's part of the challenge well, if, of communicating. If, if everyone else is Xeroxing and their ideas are getting pushed, like, at least I want some of the starting Xeroxes to be <laughs> the good ideas. If that's how everything is being spread now through these various ways, like, you can't just opt out. It's more like you got to make the best of it. I feel the same way about the general snarky culture. It's like... Yeah, if we took the Gandhian position to say, no matter how snarky you are to me, I will never snark back. Would... Which, especially on a comedy show, would be really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's hard to make the argument that that's a worthwhile abstention. Like, I, that's I mean, a... If, as a, like, a personal project, if someone wants to do that, I think that's fantastic. You know, but um, it takes all kinds. Yeah, yeah, but as as a standard for everyone. Yeah, insufficient evidence to recommend that outcome. Yeah, no, definitely insufficient evidence. 
Just one more distinction I want to make is like, I feel like you can be more or less mean with snark. And, you know, maybe this is just because I'm on our side. When I listen to our show, I think our snark isn't so pointed. And like, if even if we're making fun of you, you might be able to laugh along with us. Maybe not. Maybe that's just naive. And like, you think we're total jerks. Sometimes not, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, not all the time. I don't think John Stossel listening to the homelessness episode would really have laughed along <laughs> with that. Yeah, we yeah. always go we always go pretty hard on billionaires, but uh, dab it up with your But we do billions. always offer them a way out. We offer them what would be the good thing to do. We're like anyway, I'm just saying I think that snarkiness is mean by its form it's necessarily mean but there's levels to that and i do think that some of the most putrid harshest snark even if it's directed at the right people or the right bad ideas is it i just don't like it and i want to tone police it it's wrong well i think (laughs) i mean without 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 saying that necessarily the there's a like the snarkiness, the indirect cutting criticism exists on a spectrum of harshness. Yeah. And I think there's an argument that there's such a thing as going too far with this stuff. But yeah, to, to rule it out or to fully endorse it as the, in any context, I think would be foolish. And that's called nuance. <laughs> to return to the thread we talked about earlier in the show... Really, what's sad about it, I think, I realize, is not the snark itself, but just the capacity for solidarity where there isn't solidarity. And that that sort of mourning of the fact that our culture has this sort of problem of negative solidarity, one-upsmanship. and Yeah, and it builds solidarity in a sense, in the negative sense of like who your in-group is. And like it, th- there is real solidarity building to snark, but it's like the thread we started this episode with was sometimes leftist groups make me sad because they're snarking at each other about things that like could be minor disagreements and like we don't need to be setting in group and out group boundaries among the tiny little percentage of people who are already on the bottom left spectrum of the political compass and agree on most things so we find these ever increasingly small things to argue about and snark at each other about i don't know be like you should be mindful about that and like not too not too hard on ourselves and each other and like it's it is a potent weapon and like snark against the real enemies (laughs) yeah it's a powerful tool so i think it's worth like as as the original point was like there's a good argument that the racism of police against people of color in america is a problem that is way more serious than it has been usually talked about and more important than animal cruelty. Yeah, which got more airtime. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a good point there. Oh, yeah. The, the, the argument was never that it's a bad point. It was that the ensuing thread is depressing. And the, the people who are <laughs> criticizing this idea, they also have a good point in that this is a general principle is not an effective thing. Like, it's, it is a, 
If, oh yeah, if, we can't just solve the most important thing first and everyone puts all work into that and we don't talk about anything else that's wrong until the most important thing is completely 100% solved. So the first order of business is take everything that's potentially important and then rank it on orders of importance. Once we've completed that, <laughs> we begin the process of systemically fixing the first problem, systemically yeah. fixing the second. I mean, that's a that's a beautiful that's a beautiful dream. That's a uh, grid world block logic yeah. <laughs> was joy say, kind of beautiful yeah. <laughs> but it's also the person who's wearing this fur coat also wasn't actually suggesting that that's Not the paranoid snark world exactly interpretation yeah. so this has been the seriously wrong podcast remember this week everyone to dismantle patriarchy white supremacy the idea of hierarchy oppose the cruelty to animals believe in free speech not in the regressive sense but the positive sense and after you're done all of those things because those are more important than what i'm about to say you know do those first and then head over to patreon we do accept donations it's how the show is able to run and keep going we have a suggested donation of six dollars a month that gets you access to bonus episodes because we love to give back to the people who make the show possible, the people who love us and we love them. And it's a big love fest. That's what Patreon's about. It's about love and so, yeah, money. <laughs> <laughs> but not until all the more important things yeah. are done. Once, once giving us a monthly donation on Patreon is absolutely the most important thing to tackle next, work on it. But until then, systemically work through the list I'm sure that you've already developed. But for when that time comes, it's patreon.com slash seriously wrong. And there are great bonus episodes there. And there's a Discord server that we have. So that too. And it's wonderful. You'll meet some of the nicest, cool people in the world in group. In group themselves, all in one place. So come on down. So thank you for listening. And uh, have a great, fantastic week this week. And next week too. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by really efficient metaphors, and specifically the best type of metaphor of all. Yeah, I've got this really bad interpersonal conflict. I don't know how to deal with it. What should I tell them? Give you the secret to the perfect metaphor. I don't know what your conflict is. Doesn't matter. Use a metaphor that incorporates A, scat, okay, poop. Check. Yeah. B, sexuality or specifically genital references are quite good okay. and c includes an interpersonal conflict itself so i call this pgc poo genitals conflict that's the basis for your metaphor try it out the pgc method i'll, I'll give that a shot later at home hey can i talk to you sure now i've said to you before i've said many times i'll just say many times i'm not sure the exact amount that I don't like it when you leave the lights on all over the house all the time. You don't close the cupboard doors. You leave the lights on. Yeah, whatever. It drives me I'm crazy. Trying. Whatever. Well, he doesn't. Look, it's not really a big deal. You know, I care deeply about the environment and also the energy costs. Right. Okay. We have to pay that every month. It's not that much money. But I mean, it's also the principle and the energy. And yeah, look, no, you're right. You're right. It's you're like right. I'm trying. When I come home and I see all the lights on, it's like I'm the bride on my wedding night, and the groom—that's you. It's gotten fecal matter on my genitals. And how would that make me feel? How would that make the bride feel? On your wedding night. On my wedding night. Not this is good. my home. That would this cause is... an interpersonal conflict. This is where I live. This is my That's home. That's why we're this having is... an interpersonal conflict. Because it's like that for you. Oh. Do you understand? Did that get through to you? I've been convinced by the strength of this metaphor. Later, back with the friend from earlier. It absolutely worked. The PGC, 100%. I told you. PGC, always it works. worked 100%. Yeah.
EGC, proud sponsor of the Seriously Wrong Podcast. Works every time. Seriously. Give it a shot. We're not pulling your leg. Try it with Are your... we also uh, brought to people by something else? Is this another double ad? Yes, today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by having two ads in a row two times and having both those two ads serve as sequels to the earlier ads for a total of four ads, each more howlingly riotous than the last. I think the second one was the most riotous myself, but agree to disagree. I might go for third, but I think they're all, they pass the threshold of riotousness. Proud sponsor of today's Seriously Wrong. Next time on Seriously Wrong, the small little man with a heart of steel and mismatched pants holding up devices, who's very generous with tips, comes back to get his mystery solved. Once again, great teeth. Snark is a powerful tool that can be used to destroy. So you can use it to destroy good things or bad things. And so the question, is snark good or bad? It's kind of the wrong question. It's a partial merger of sarcasm and satire mixed into interpersonal interactions that serves the purpose to disparage one and build up another. At its best, it can be a guiding light towards truth with accurate criticism. At its worst, it can fall to paranoia of seeing phantoms that aren't really there or projecting phantoms that were never there. Yeah, or just self-congratulatory, pointless, in-group masturbation that does nothing to help anyone. But it's all in the report. It's a very comprehensive, nuanced report, and we think you're going to love it. I mean, Uh, for all its problems, sir, from what we can tell, it does overthrow tyrants. So ultimately, we do want to keep this in the arsenal. It can also install tyrants, though. So, And that's the red-hot fire, sir, at the center of the discourse around discourse. What, you wanted us to investigate what sharks are and whether sharks are good? Oh, sharks. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was at this moment that Sean and Aaron looked at each other, locking gym faces. That's a great idea of something to investigate. <laughs> Are sharks good? Hmm, who knows? <laughs> Let me check the textbook for you, bud. <laughs> Ever seen Jaws? What's that? You you want to take back all the, the money you gave us? And you brought a special vacuum to suck it out of well, all of our pockets? Well, we did spend a lot of it already. And we did a lot of research on the snark report. You, you miss, it's, I think you misspoke. We both heard snark. Yeah, two against one. Really. Oh, he's turning the vacuum on. You know what? You can have it. I don't want to be greedy. I'll open up some of my pockets. I still got some money. I'm going to leave some of my pockets open, some of my pockets closed, sir. Yeah, we did do work. It's only fair. It is your fault. Yeah, typically in society, you know, you're not allowed to take money back. Like, I can't give you $10,000 one day and then come back in like four or five days 
No, but if you pay for a service and they deliver completely the wrong service, most service providers will either do the right thing for free or give the money back. That's pretty common practice. But we're not most service providers. We're different. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, you taking this money back is like, say there's like a wild fox and a dove in the woods and the wild fox got his fecal matter on the dove's genitals. Oh, I was going to say, if the wild fox got his fecal matter on the dove's genitals and then tore the genitals off with its teeth. And so the tiny little man with the, and the teeth with the teeth thing gave all the money back and took his Once report. Once again, just reversed the vacuum, sent it all back. <laughs> and he took the report. He said, thank you, sir. <laughs> this is a better question than mine anyway. I've joined your side. Uh, next week, sharks. So yeah, that's what the next episode is about, sharks. 